Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. If you have questions about this church or about Unitarian Universalism, please ask the knowledgeable and friendly people at the visitor table, and they'll do their best to answer any questions you might have. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. And so it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please say with me the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Life comes in clusters, clusters of solitude, then clusters when there is hardly time to breathe. That's by May Sarton. People ask me, you have a whole room full of Unitarian Universalists. That holds, that's one thing you hold in common. But people have their roots and their practices in Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, earth-based traditions, humanism. You, you have people who come from all different backgrounds. How do you, what holds you together? And I say, well, one of the things that holds this congregation together is the mission statement that it wrote, and it wrote it on the wall. And we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. When I first graduated from college and began teaching and relationships, I often found myself overwhelmed, off kilter, out of balance. I either worked too much and played too little or something else. Um, I was given, and I don't even remember who or why or how it happened, but I was given a book by Anne Morrow Lindbergh called A Gift from the Sea. And at the time, I was hesitant to read a book that was written 50 years. And that was about 25 years ago. So I, it, how would it possibly matter to me? And I reluctantly looked at and found, as I began to read it, that it was a vast treasure trove of really great advice. And I wrote down the core pieces in a, in a book, a quote book that I keep to this day. And I have pulled today, I brought to you one of the most important passages that has helped me through many more times of feeling overwhelmed and too much work and not enough play. And I share this with you from the deepest part of me because it's been so meaningful pretty much my whole adult life. Simplicity of living as much as possible, to retain a true awareness of life, balance of physical, intellectual, and spiritual life, work without pressure, space for significance and beauty, time for solitude and sharing, closeness to nature to strengthen understanding and faith, in the intermittency of life, life of the spirit, creative life, and the life of human relationships, a few shells. 
Now comes the time in our service when we breathe together. Just put your feet on the floor and breathe into that place in your heart where you are who you are. As you feel the breath sink down into the middle of your body, try to find that place of stillness amidst all the noise of the world. It is in this place of stillness that we can speak to God as we understand God. Listen to the wisdom that is within us, or just follow our breath as it goes in and out of our bodies, keeping us alive. It is in this place of stillness that we can develop the strength to open our hearts to those who are suffering. Develop the strength to sit and be joyful with those who are joyous. It is a place where we can find our balance in the silence. I invite you to light candles of joy or sorrow or remembrance. Let us continue our meditation with the Buddhist metta meditation or a loving kindness prayer. We say this through three times, the first times for ourselves. If you choose to use this as your spiritual practice, you say this for yourself for six months before you try to say it for anybody else. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say it for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time, we say it as a spiritual stretch for uh, someone against whom we have a resentment. This is a very advanced spiritual practice. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. We just had the equinox. When the day and the night are equal in length, it's a time of balance in the earth's year. So I thought I would talk about balance. Um, 
the equinox is as light and dark flow and ebb into one another. This is the still point. The equinoxes are the still point. People try to balance an egg at the equinox because sometimes you can get it to balance on its end. I don't know how scientific that is. Some people say yes, some people say no. The light and the dark were among the first elements in the universe. Let there be light, let there be dark. They were both good. A lot of times people use darkness as a way of talking about bad, but in the Hebrew scriptures, they're both good. And they continue today, millions and millions and billions of years later. And ancient folks noticed four special events that had to do with the sun. The winter solstice, when the nights are longest, the summer solstice, when the days are longest, and the two equinoxes. And so there is a sun symbol of a circle with an equal armed cross in the middle. That is a sun symbol, and it looks like a wheel. And the ancients used to talk about the wheel of the year and how the wheel turns, and the first turn of the wheel was the dawn of time. And the seasons follow one another in the way of your part of the earth. And the days and the nights follow one another in the way of your part of the earth. And it continues on and on and on like a wheel. So I wanted to talk about balance because I have never been a fan of everything being in balance. Because I thought... It would be boring. I was a fan of the extremes. And then I realized that only non-living things can actually balance in stillness. The rocks on the front of your bulletin. I think the rocks are kind of alive, but they're also alive in a really slow way. So they can balance in stillness, but the rest of us have to balance in the midst of action. So it's not necessarily boring, and I learned from my martial arts training. Um, I have a second-degree black belt in karate, and so I spent a lot of time in the dojo trying to balance. Because if you kick and you're not balanced, you fall over backwards. Have any of you had that experience? (laughs) So you spend a lot of time figuring out how to be hard to knock over. And it is in the midst of balance that you can spring into action in an effective way. And if you're not in balance, then you can't spring into action in any kind of effective way. You with me? So I want to talk to you about um, a living balance. And I want to talk to you about how uh, physical balance and emotional balance are related And I also want to confess to you a preacher secret, which is that whenever you choose something to preach about, almost always the week before you preach about it, you will have some kind of experience with this thing. Now, those of you who were here last Sunday know I was knocked off balance last Sunday by uh, my heart kicking up. I have some wild horses in my heart that take over now again. And I had to skip the second service and go to the emergency room to get my wild horses corralled like they do. 
there. It's um, not life-threatening, really, if you take care of it. So uh, that knocked me off balance. I don't like being sick. It makes me mad. And um, I certainly don't like being sick in front of y'all. It's embarrassing. But there you go. We live in these human-type bodies, and being off balance is what happens when you get a diagnosis or when your body betrays you because we think if it were a good body, it would just keep going like a Volvo or something and just (laughs) not really even need its oil changed. We get knocked off balance when our bank account goes south on us. We get knocked off balance when one of our kids doesn't act like they normally do or... Um, when our sister falls in love with an unsuitable person or when uh, our children want to put us in a home. My children haven't wanted to do that yet. We'll see. A lot of things knock a person off balance. So one of the most important things to... Being in balance is your stance in life. And in, uh, in any kind of martial art or in any kind of dancing, you have to find your stance, the right stance. And um, if you have too wide a stance, you know, you've all tried to stand really wide. And it's uh, not a very well-balanced kind of thing. And I think that when you try to cover too much ground in your life or when you try to, um, I think that having too wide a stance really corresponds almost with being, uh, trying to be everything to everybody. You know, you're, you're trying to put, you're trying to put your feet, cover too much ground. One of the best things for balance is to say, this is what I do and that is not what I do. This is who I am, and that is not who I am. And I know you want me to be a lawyer. I just can't be a lawyer. Or I know you want me to um, go into business, but I have to do art. Any of those things. I know you want me to stay married. I just can't. You, You have to do what you have to do in your life to be who you are, because there's only one of you, and it would be a tragedy if you were not to be you. So self-differentiation is what the psychologists call it, and it has to do with not taking too wide a stance, not trying to be too many things, not trying to tolerate too much behavior. You know, some people try to be so tolerant that it's like, well, everything's okay. I can see your point of view. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. But when you have your truth and I have my truth, then what is the truth? Is there a the truth? I think so. I think ignoring that is um, perilous. Not because you'll go to hell or anything, but just because you'll be wrong a lot. I hate being wrong, even though I'm wrong a lot. I hate it every time. If you have too narrow a stance, also, you're easy to knock over. If you don't take up enough room, if you go, these things are okay with me, and there is no softness in that. If you have a narrow stance and your knees are nice and soft, 
you're harder to knock over. But if you're rigid and narrow, man, oh man, somebody can just go and you'll fall right over. If you have a picture of how things should go, this is, I'm just talking to me now. I have a picture of how things should go, no matter what it is. And if it goes according to my picture of how it should go, sometimes I don't even share that with anybody else. If things don't go the way I think they should go, I get knocked off balance and I have to adjust. And sometimes, I mean, I adjust very well, but it makes me surly. Is this too much information? And some people adjust very well. You're going on a trip with them. You want to go to San Marcos or something like that. And uh, they go, oh, now that we're riding past South Austin, I want to go see this thing. And they're taking you two hours out of the way because they want to go to some museum or a store or whatever. You're like, I thought we were going to San Marcos. And they're like, well, we are. We're just going this way. But it wasn't your picture. So you have to adjust. Sometimes it makes you surly. So too wide a stance, too narrow a stance, too rigid a stance, all of those things make you pretty easy to to knock over. All right. Another way of being more stable, more sturdy, You find your right width of stance. You find, okay, I can be this. I can be that. I'm not going to be anything else. I'm going to have nice, soft knees so that I'm hard to knock over. You can try to knock me over. This is a game that martial artists play. You know, you can try to knock me over, and I'm going to try to uh, adjust and yield space and push back and be hard to knock over, and whoever makes the other person step back first wins. And uh, because you're practicing being hard to knock off balance. Lowering your center of gravity is really important. You got to sink in order to be strong. You got to sink in order to be strong. What does that mean? When I think of lowering my center of gravity emotionally, when I think of being closer to the ground... Emotionally, I think of being willing to make mistakes. If you cannot tolerate making a mistake, your center of gravity is too high. You're going to be easy to knock over. You're going to find yourself prone a lot. If you make room in your day for mistakes, now understand, if you're in the medical profession, that is a lot harder because other people die. But in most professions, you can make a mistake and nobody dies. I like talking to people who start a lot of their sentences with, I could be wrong, but I think that lowers your center of gravity. When I was working as a therapist, I worked for 15 years as a therapist, and I would have people come to me and they would say, we've tried everything else. We've tried every other therapist in town, and you're our last best hope. 
And when I was young, boy, that used to hook me. I'd be like, dun da da, I can do it. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Can you hear the soundtrack going? Dun 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 dun. When I was old and far gone in sin, as my uncle William would say, people would say that to me, and I would say, "Listen, if six other therapists hadn't been able to do anything, I probably won't be able to do anything either. If you tried everything, I'm your last hope." You know, I'll give it a shot, but I can't promise anything. And they would go, okay. And I would think, oh, okay. Now I can just do my best and the whole world and riding on my shoulders. That was lowering my center of gravity. I don't know what it would be for you. You can think about that. The main thing I want you to know is that balance is temporary. Always. Only 100% of the time. Balance is temporary. Since we're alive, we're always losing our balance and coming back. Losing our balance and coming back. One of my favorite images when I was doing um, martial arts before my knees left me for another world. um, One of my favorite images to think about when I was trying to find my right place was... um, of throwing a pot. When I was in college, I took some pottery classes and you, you have this clay and you have a, a wheel that's spinning and you have to take this clay and you go onto the wheel. And if you get it right, then you can put all kinds of pressure on that clay and it'll just make into something beautiful. But if you don't get it centered... Then you put pressure on the clay, and what does it start doing? It starts going, and pretty soon there's clay all over the room. And (laughs) I think a life could do that too. If you have your center, if you keep breathing, if you have your focus, like what's important to me, I think love is important. So in every situation, you're going to wonder, what would this situation be like if I were really love in this situation? Then you're focused. Then you find your center and you keep practicing. Then pressure comes and things start spinning. And maybe you make something beautiful. And if you get off balance, start flying all over the room, you just regroup and try again. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin.
For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.